It doesn't matter with God. Praise the Lord. And the blood may have been shed 2,000 years ago, but with God, a thousand years is a day a day as a thousand years. What I'm trying to say here, folks, answer Satan with Scripture. That's why the more Scripture you know and the more you learn, more you memorize, amen, you can always fight the enemy. If he ever comes and tempts you and says, blah, 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 you say, no, sir, the Word of God says so and so. And you defeat the devil with the Word of God. Remember that. And so this is what Jesus, all three times he was tempted in the wilderness, there he, temp- he always answered with a scripture. And that's how we defeat Satan's always with a scripture. My point, however, that I want to emphasize here is that Jesus did not turn the stones into bread to satisfy himself. And nowhere in the New Testament do you find where Jesus did things to make it easy, more comfortable, Uh, more satisfying, more pleasing to the flesh. He never did. He never did. They said, uh, Master, where where do you go? He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. In other words, he never never even had a home that he could call his own. Jesus didn't. Uh, uh, The cloak that he had was made by his mother, woven in in, inside and out. It had no, no seams in it. And it was given to him by his mother. And that was the cloak that he had, praise the Lord. And uh, Jesus, everything that he ever had, he borrowed. He borrowed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. Remember that? And everything, and they cheered him, wanted to make him king and all that. But he borrowed the donkey. He borrowed the upper room to have the Last Supper. And the tomb, he borrowed. (laughs) They tried to give it to him, but he gave it back. Praise the Lord. Joseph Arimathea said, you know, I got a tomb here. He was a rich man. That's all set and ready to go. And since Jesus died on the cross, we'll bury him there. But three days later, he gave it back. Praise the Lord. Jesus always gives back. Remember that. Anything you ever give God, he gives back. Folks, I'm telling you the truth. Anything you ever give Jesus, he will give it back. Let me move on here in my thoughts here that I want to give you here today. And that is that Jesus always gives these things back. I want to refer also here to Philippians And this is chapter 2 and verse 3, Philippians 2, 3. This says a little bit more about Jesus being the type person and was himself an example to us that he never exalted or promoted himself. Look at 2, 3. He says, let uh, nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. This is all contrary, you know, to all the things that the world teaches. Others better than themselves. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Look at verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. Mind meaning the way you think, the way you view things, the way you are, and how you live. Verse 6 who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. You see that? Everything about Jesus was that of being humble. He could have he rode a white stallion into Jerusalem, you know, but he didn't do that. He rode a donkey. And the donkey, the coat of a donkey, the donkey had a coat with it, you know, a little baby. It was, it was a sort of, you know, it, it, it's something that Napoleon or 
Alexander the Great wouldn't have never ridden on, you know, to conquer the world. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus was very humble and everything, born in a, in a stable and laid in a manger when he was born. God could have chosen, chose, have chosen for him to have been born in the big, biggest and best and most glorious palace in all the world. But he didn't do that. He had him born in a very simple, very humble environment. And all of that, folks, is to show you and I that humility is the way to the heart of God. It is. And I know that, uh, you know, uh, like, the guy, like I heard about the guy who wrote a book on how to be humble by, the, by one who knows. <laughs> and so I guess he was proud that he was, I'm proud, I'm humble. You know, one guy said he was proud, he was humble. But uh, humility in all, in the true sense of the word, uh, was what Jesus uh, reflected. This is the way he was. And what Paul is saying here is to follow him for an example here. This was Paul wrote Philippians as well as the, uh, the other writings in Romans as well. But here in this seventh verse, I'll read it to you again. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so Jesus Christ is our example that we should follow him and, and be like him. Now, I'm going to go to the, uh, uh, to the scriptures here uh, in First in, in Samuel, I mean in, in Psalms, in, in Psalms 119. Before I do, I want to read a verse of scripture in First Peter chapter 1 and 10. This is interesting because this sort of lets and helps us to understand why there are so many of the scriptures that we see in the Old Testament about Jesus. Jesus said to those disciples one time, those, those Pharisees, Pharisees and Sadducees rather, he said to them one time, he said, search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life, for they are they which testify of me. Now in the Old Testament, amazingly so, so many verses of scripture is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. They may have been like in Psalms. I'm going to look at one particular chapter in particular here about Psalms. Psalms, praise the Lord, was written by David. Psalms were written by David. Not all of them, but probably most of them were written by him. But there are scriptures that identify Jesus Christ all through the Old Testament. Not only Psalms, but in Isaiah and in Micah and in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, all through there, Hosea. Uh, they speak of the Lord, be, be talking along, and then all of a sudden they say something that identifies them with Jesus. And Jesus is saying to these, these Pharisees and Sadducees, I'm all through that Old Testament if you look for it. I'm in there, Daniel, extensively in Daniel. Let me read this in, in 1 Peter here. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. He's talking about our salvation now being saved. He said, well, which the prophets inquired and searched diligently. Uh, and, and Peter refers to it here. Paul talks about this in two other different places. I'm referring only to Peter's writings. Uh, who uh, prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them. The Bible says that holy men of old spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. 
those prophets and prophetesses in some cases, those prophets would speak and the Holy Ghost would move upon them rather and then they would speak under the unction of the Holy Ghost and they would say what they had to say. Sometimes they didn't fully understand themselves what they were really talking about. But they just said what they said because that was what they felt and that's what the Spirit moved on them to do. Look what it says further here as I read these verses to you. It says here, uh, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, prophesying of grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. And this is exactly what happened to David a lot of times. David would feel certain sufferings. And whenever he would, he would begin to write them in Psalms. And they became prophetic of what Jesus would go through and how he would suffer certain things. So they had a twofold thing. One, David felt it. Praise the Lord. He felt it in the Holy Ghost. He felt it in the Spirit. And he wrote it. And he put it in Psalms. But then Jesus, praise the Lord... Uh, actually fulfilled many of those things that were written about. And for Bible scholars, as you study that Old Testament in many areas of it, you begin to see Jesus all through the scriptures, everywhere. The more you study that Old Testament, the more you begin to see Jesus mentioned, Jesus talked about, Jesus referred to in a very subtle way. And you begin to understand, this is talking about Christ. This is what Peter was trying to tell us here, that those prophets spoke about Christ because of the way they felt, the way the Holy Ghost moved upon them, and the way the Spirit of God was toward them. Now, uh, I want to refer you back to Romans here for a moment. Uh, I'm going to go back to 15.3, where it says, for even Christ pleased not himself. This is Romans 15.3, where we were a while ago, and... uh, We've got our screens up here to help us. And then in verse 3 says, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as as it is written, and then he quotes here from the Old Testament, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. And now all of a sudden, this is speaking about Jesus Christ. Speaking of first person, Jesus Christ is saying here, and this is what he's talking about. This was prophesied in the Old Testament. The reproaches that was toward God fell upon Jesus. And so the reproach, the word, you know, reproach means strip. That's the, uh, that's the old Hebrew meaning of it that is, as it's translated in the English, strip or defamed, defamed, or just simply uh, uh, your dignity is taken away. You take away the dignity of anything is, uh, is reproach. So I want you to go with me, if you would, over here to... Uh, the book of Psalms 119, Psalm 69. Let's go to that one. Psalm 69, I won't go to the others. But look at Psalm 69. Here's a good example of what we're talking about. Look at verse 9 here, 69. For the zeal of mine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach thee are fallen upon me. This is exactly what Paul was quoting in the book of Romans, referring to Jesus. And so this verse of scripture, then we understand to be about the Lord. Now stay with me very closely because I'm going to show you here. This, in this 69th Psalm, it describes a lot of things that Jesus went through. And folks, he went through it because he wanted us to be saved. 
If you don't appreciate anything else, just say, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you suffered and died that I might be saved. And Jesus went through a lot of things, and there were times when they were, they were hard for him to go through because he was, in the, he was the flesh. But he did it that you and I might be saved. It's called the grace of God. He did it in our place. I'm going to show you some other things in the Bible that help us understand, you know, what did he mean when he said, Eli, Eli, lakhtabachthani, on the cross. Eli, Eli, lamasabachthani. When Jesus spoke on the cross, remember he said, Eli, Eli, lamasabachthani. They said he calls on Eli. Somebody else said, no, no, he was calling on Elisha. It depends on which of the gospel books you read it in. And he was saying, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? You know, and he was saying it in pure Hebrew. He was saying it in Hebrew as it is found over in the book of Psalms chapter 22. I'm not at 22 yet, but I'm just pointing out to you here how that the New Testament, praise the Lord, in, in Jesus's life reflected a lot of that Old Testament stuff. And so if you read that in the 22nd chapter of Psalms, it's all about Jesus's crucifixion, how he felt on the cross. And it starts out by saying, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And of course, in Psalms 22, it was written in pure Hebrew. But in the New Testament, when Jesus was on the cross, they did not speak pure Hebrew. They spoke what was called Aramaic. It was a language that was mixed with Hebrew and, uh, and a little bit of Greek and a little bit of uh, Macedonian, uh, not Macedonian, uh, uh, Babylonian, the old Babylonian language, and Chaldean as it was called. And so it was a mixture of languages. That's why they did not know what he said and everything. This is why that these people come around and said, oh, you don't get baptized in Jesus' name because Jesus is the Greek version of it. And you got to be baptized in the pure Hebrew name of Jesus, which is Yahashua. Yahashua is a pure Hebrew, you know. Well, just to be honest with you, the New Testament, when the New Testament church went forth baptized, they never baptized in Yahashua because they didn't know Yahashua. They didn't speak that kind of language. They baptized in Jesus, which is the Greek form of it. Praise the Lord. Well, so much for that. But these people are always wanting to change things and so forth. I had a friend up in Pennsylvania, had a nice church and up there, and he and I were great friends. And I, I, he'd come down and preach for me, and I'd go up and preach for him. And the one day I heard he had gone into this false doctrine of saying that we got to rebaptize everybody now in the name of Yahashua. Well, that's not the way it was in the Bible. And I'm getting off on something else here. But I just want to say this, that they did not speak pure Hebrew. But when Jesus was on the cross, he spoke pure Hebrew. That's why they did not know what he said. I'll uh, move on here. Everybody still with me? Look at 69.9. We're talking about the reproaches of Christ. For the zeal of mine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach thee are fallen upon me. Now, Jesus talked about the reproach here. Uh, verse 7, I'm going to back up to verse 7. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. These are all uh, prophecies of Jesus. And the Lord talked about how that he had borne, he was bearing the reproach. That reproach is brought out in Isaiah 53. It's brought out in Psalms 22. When it talks about Jesus going to the cross, he was, he was reproached of men. Uh, his dignity was taken away from him. And here in the 69th chapter, 
uh, David writing this felt the Holy Spirit and he felt the Spirit of Christ upon him and he wrote these words. He himself probably was feeling, I'm sure, the same way, but the Spirit of God directed him to pen it and write it the way he did. Look at 69.1. Look very closely with me on this. He says, save me, O God, for the waters are come in over my soul. Look at the word waters there. Look at verse 2. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters, deep waters, where the floods overflow me. And he's talking about these waters here. Then down in verse 15, he said, let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me. He felt like everything was like the waters coming over him. Let me show you something about what the waters mean. Go to Revelations chapter 17 for a moment. Let me show you something here. This is, is everybody still with me? All right. I want to see about two hands. All right. <laughs> so hopefully you are. Look at Revelations here, 17. And uh, this is talking about the old Harley church. And it says here, verse 17, one, there came one of the seven angels who had seven of the bowls and talked with me saying unto me, come here, I will show thee the judgment of the great harlot that sitteth upon many waters. See that? Now the definition of that is, is brought out in chapter 15, verse 15. 17, 15 says, and he said unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the harlot sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So sometimes the word waters in that respect is actually the multitude of people. And so what's happening here in 69, if we interpret it in that fashion, he says, I feel like the waters have come over me. It's like a flood covering me. It's all of the multitude of people that said, crucify him, crucify him. We don't want him. He's not our, not our friend. He's not our savior. He's not our Christ. This is what happened whenever Jesus you know, was tried and everything. And he went among these people, healing them, feeding 5,000 men besides the women and children. That was probably 10,000 people there. He, he fed them, and twice he did that. One time 4,000, one time 5,000 men besides the women and children. And, and then he healed them. He healed the, the leprosy, he cleansed, and opened blinded eyes, unstopped deaf ears. And he did miracle after miracle after miracle. And in one place it said that he, he performed miracles all day and into the night as they caught, brought the people. Yet, when it came down toward the end, and everything because they believed the lies of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and those who religious leaders who did not like Jesus and really despised Jesus because they felt like he was taking the spotlight away from them. And so they began to form this, you know, against him. And suddenly all of these who were once made better by Christ now all of a sudden had become the multitude who stood there and cried out and shouted, you know, to Pilate, when Pilate said, what shall I do with this man up here? You know, I find no fault in him. Take him and crucify him, you know. So I'm pointing out to you here how that Jesus bore all of this reproach, all of this weariness. Look at verse 3 here in 69. I'm still in Psalm 69.3. This is interesting. A lot of people don't know this. It's, I'm going to show you in the Bible here. He says, I am weary of my crying. This is now, this is a prophecy of Jesus. 
I am weary of my crying. And uh, if you would like to go over to a scripture with me, let me see if I can find it. Uh, I think it is in Hebrews, it is. Hebrews 5, 7. Look in Hebrews 5, 7 with me here. This is speaking about Jesus. And uh, says here, who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Christ now, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. I'm telling you, there were times that Jesus cried heavily, heavenly, I mean heavily, not heavenly, heavily. Maybe it was heavenly, but it was heavily. But he cried and wept. Now there's a scripture that says Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. But that was, uh, you know, when he, uh, when, uh, he uh, saw certain situations, he wept over Jerusalem, of course, in one place. And then, of course, he also wept at Lazarus' tomb because he loved Lazarus and so forth. But strong cryings is more powerful than just weeping a little. But this is says strong crying, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him. This is, he prayed unto the Father, Father, not my will, but thine be done. He prayed, Lord, if it be possible, let this pass from me. This is the flesh praying. Now you say, Brother Myers, why are you bringing all this out? I'm trying to show you folks that Jesus never made it easy for himself, but he, he went through all that he did for us. And because he did that, not only did he redeem us, and not only did he give us the grace of God that we need, we're saved by grace and that through faith, our faith is our acceptance of that grace. That's how we receive that grace, through our faith in God and faith in Christ. And so this, uh, through that, he was able then to redeem us through his grace, praise the Lord. But in all of that, Jesus still had to go through the cross and he had to suffer. And so that suffering from the humanity side was not an easy thing. So Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, this cup that I would have to drink. That means that I have to go to the cross and suffer and bleed and die and so forth. And, uh, but he said this, it's, it's added, it's in the word. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, I feel, I feel the Holy Ghost in saying this, but sometimes maybe each and every one of us at one time or another go through some things. And we say, God, you know, if you could, would you just take care of this situation? Whatever it might be. But if we can ever say, nevertheless, your, thy will be done. Thy will be done. And what he was saying when he said, nevertheless, he was saying, Never let it be less than the perfect will of God. You know, whatever. I may want something in the flesh. I may desire something in the flesh. But let it never be less than the the will of God. Than the will of God. I was thinking about David. He wrote these psalms and he wrote so many of them. And I could go to Psalms 35 and read Psalms 35. And it's very much like 69. It's trials and tests. David went through all those things. For 13 years, he fled from Saul, lived out in the deserts, ran from pillar to post. He hid in the caves and in behind the rocks. And, and he had been a hero in Israel. And Saul was out trying to take his life and run him down and kill him. And uh, 
Saul take a big army of men, I mean Jewish people, Jewish army, soldiers. And Saul was the king, and they'd go out there, and they'd go from place to place to place, and David had to hide, jump, and everything. And sometimes it was more than he could handle. Sometimes, one time they went back to Ziglag, where their little town was, uh, where their wife and children, all the, all the men that were with him, with David, he had a little small army of his own that had, they just came from all walks of life and joined up with him. And they went back, and uh, the Amorites had invaded their village, and burnt the village down and taken all their children and all their wives and everything. And, they, and the men said, you know, David, we're, we're fed up to here with all of this. And they looked at him like, we're about ready to get rid of you because following you, had, it brought us nothing, you know, and everything. So David went before the Lord. He said, Lord, what shall I do? And the Lord said, pursue after the enemy and you'll overtake them and you shall recover everything. Nothing's been lost. And he did, and they did, and that's what, exactly what happened. But that moment and that time of being completely just drained, David went through that. Why? Because I think God wanted David to be able to pin these things down that they may be for our edification. That's why he says in the words, they, the Spirit of God moved on them that it might be for our edification and then Jesus Christ himself actually bore those same feelings in his lifetime when he had everybody in the world against him when he had done nothing. I can read in, in Psalms 35 where David writes, and it's the same thing with Jesus. He said, I was their friend. I helped them. He said, I, I visited them. I, uh, I, uh, I, I helped heal their sick and, and so forth when they needed it. But whenever I was in this reproachful position, they piled on and just said, you know, do away from with him. We don't want him. Can I just say something here? And I'm speaking now uh, to us here today. This day and hour that we are living today, folks, let us not be as the world that still despises Jesus. I'm going to tell you, the world's going to get worse. I got a lot of things to, to talk to you about. I got a new series coming up for this Sunday morning. And I don't want you to, I heard something in that debate the other day that really rocked me. I'm going to show you some things in Bible prophecy. I'm going to show you where we're going in a lot of things. I'll show you in the scriptures. It's there. Man, I, I heard some words that came, was coming out of those debaters. And, you know, however you votes find us, you're, you're privileged. I've already voted absentee. Just, just mail it in. I'm through with it. Amen. But I'm just telling you here, uh, I heard some things in that debate that I said, dear Lord, that sounds like they've been going to some Pentecostal prophecy preachers meetings and listening to them. I won't say anything more about it, but I'm going to show you some things in the scriptures, everything. But I do want to tell you that we're living in a day and hour and time, which the world that we know is changing and is changing fast. That's why when I heard that from them and they're in the political picture. When they're in there, they know some things we don't know. They know some things. They are in, they're into those things. And I'm just trying to say to you here that things are going to change, and it's going to be more of an anti-Christian, more anti-Christ attitude and spirit that's going to develop. But the Bible says that where grace, where uh, grace, I mean where uh, iniquity abound, grace did much more abound. So the more wicked things get, the more God is going to say, I will send my spirit and I'll send my power 
and I'll move on your life, and I'll move on your heart. That's why we're having such wonderful Monday night prayer meetings here, I believe. It's because our people are sensing a need to pray and call on God and develop that personal prayer life that you're doing. Because I feel like that more than ever before that we're needing to pray, amen, and to walk as Jesus walked and did as Jesus did, praise the Lord, and pray for your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. And if one man smites you on the cheek, turn the other. And if he takes your coat, give him your cloak also. And, uh, you know, that's, that's all strange language to us. It still is to this day. But the Lord is trying to say, just be good to everybody. Bless and curse not, you know. Don't hate anybody. Even the people that don't like you, don't hate them. Pray for those. Pray for everybody. Praise the Lord. And that's a hard thing to do, but Jesus is our example. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He is our example for all of this. And if we will follow the way of the Lord, folks, it is the most powerful way in all the world. Hallelujah. It'll bring forth things, uh, you know, I don't know how much of this talk about, but they're talking about a bunch of these Syrians coming into America now, you know, and all that stuff. Should we shut the gates and open? Can I just tell you something? The Bible says God's going to have people out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Amen. There's going to be people of everywhere. Sometimes you think a, a thing is going to be bad, but God, praise the Lord, does it for good. You never know. I mean, I'm just talking. I'm just talking from Scripture. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking Scripture here. But I'm saying that the world's changing, but God has got control of everything. Everything is according to his will. Praise the Lord. Amen. Some of these nations are so tight and so closed off and so, uh, so, so tight. I mean, you know, you, if you're a Christian, you go in there, you can't teach your Christianity to nobody else. Otherwise, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. Everything. Well, God has a way of bringing people out of that into Christianity, and, and you and I have to rise to the occasion. We can't just say, we have to say, no, no, I'm going to pass out tracts, and I'm going to talk to people, and I'm going to invite people to my church. Amen. God wants to save people out of every walk of life. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, he's ready to back us up with his power if we are willing, praise the Lord, to reach out to the world and to reach sinners and to help people to come to the Lord. He's willing and ready to back us with his power. That's why over, the, your pastor just got back from, you know, being in Africa and over there, and he tells us about all the miracles that they were having over in Madagascar and, and different countries in Africa and the crusades and they, they had, and had over there and so forth. And all these miracles they have the people blind, just blind all their lives. They had their eyes open, just like in the days of Christ. And, and they could not walk, could not walk at all. And they were look, jumping and dancing all over the place in time. You know, it, it, just, it just one after the other, it all happened. Why? Because God is backing his wonderful presence and their effort to reach the people. He is backing it with his spirit and his power and his presence. And he'll do it in America. And he'll do it among us if we will let him. And I'm just, uh, I just want to let you know here today that Jesus was the example. And if we do it Jesus' way, God will bless us and he will guide us and he will direct us, praise the Lord. And the way of Christ is far greater than any other, any other way in the world, praise the Lord. Uh, I'm going to close with this. If you'll look uh, here in the scriptures in this 19th 
I think it's the 19th ch uh, chapter we're still in, Psalms 19. Uh, I think I'm right. And let me read this verse of scripture here. This is 69, I meant. I said 19. I don't know why I keep saying 19. 69 of Psalms. Look at verse 19. Look at 19 here. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Verse 20. Reproach hath broken my heart. This is actually a prophecy Jesus is speaking here. But it's the spirit of Christ that was in David as he wrote it. Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And there was none at the cross. And for comforters, but I found none. Look at verse 21. This really identifies who they're talking about. They gave me also gall for my food. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Vinegar to drink. And when you look over here in Matthew chapter 27, if I can look over there very quickly here. Uh, Matthew 27. Yes, where is Matthew 27? All right, here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 27 and uh, verse 34. 27, 34. God bless these people up here. They're so patient with me with my scriptures. They're right on target. I appreciate you guys very much. Uh, 17, 24, it says, they gave him vinegar to drink. Look at that. This is the New Testament when Jesus was being crucified. So that what you're reading over here in Psalm 69 is a prophecy. It is, a, is actually what we've been talking about. Jesus feeling that. Verse 34, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted it, he would not drink. And then down in verse 48, and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. So when you read over here in Psalm 69, 21, and they gave me also gall for my food, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink, it's fulfilled over here in the scriptures. Not only in Matthew, but also in Mark, also in Luke. What I'm trying to show you here is that's all in part of the word of God. And then if and then closing out here, uh, where it says here in the 40s, I'm, I'm back here in uh, Matthew here, chapter uh, 27, uh, where it says, a straight way they ran and took water. What caused that to happen was verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lamech Sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that's what you read when you read over here in Psalms, chapter 22, the very first verse, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus identifying himself with the crucifixion that's described in Psalms 22. Praise the Lord. And he spoke there, those words, and he spoke it in pure Hebrew. And I'm telling you all of that because when you read Psalms 22, then it talks about they pierced my hands and my feet. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And that all happened at Calvary over in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all describes that. And I'm just trying to tell you here that Jesus is in that Old Testament. Search the scriptures, for in them you think uh, you have eternal life, for they are they which testify of me. And Jesus is our example in everything. If we can say, Lord, help us to be like you. I'm telling you, folks, the power of God will be manifested through the church if we can say, Lord, help us to be like you. Love your brothers and sisters. Do good for each other. Do good to, to people. 
try to be kind, and I know that's against old human nature. I know that. But as Jesus yielded to the Spirit, so help us to yield to that Holy Ghost Spirit that is in us that we might be Christ-like. Can we stand together and lift our hands and worship God? Praise God. God bless every one of you here this morning. Let's just worship him together. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We praise you. We magnify you. We glorify your wonderful name. Bless this congregation. Bless our time together here today. Bless the morning service, Lord. We magnify your name and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.